That was really cool. All about him all over the world. Well, as you might imagine, I have many opportunities to describe Bethel Church, uh, given my role here and people that ask me about it. Sometimes I have uh, you know, a length of time that I can describe it. Sometimes it has to be very quick, you know, like just sort of the elevator uh, description of the church. And I wonder if, if uh, you've been around here very long, how would you describe in an elevator Bethel Church? Well, we have many wonderful options around here. We could say things like this. We are a regional church with campuses, and it's our desire to reach Northwest Indiana and Chicagoland for Christ. We are a family church with tremendous children and student ministries here. We are an expositional preaching church, which is important to us. We are a growing church. We are a doctrinal or a creedal church. We are this, we are that. And praise God, there are a lot of things that we could point to and say, you know, that's really a wonderful aspect of our, of our church. But I know of no better, more biblical, more inspiring, more visionary, more God-glorifying goal as a church than for us as a church, as a collective body, to collectively agree that we are doing what we are doing, we are being what we are being, for the overall purpose of glorifying our blessed Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, that is not to say that we are anti-Trinitarian here. No, 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 no. We, we are very Trinitarian here at our church. We believe in God the Father. We believe certainly in God the Holy Spirit. We affirm the historic Orthodox teachings of, of Christianity regarding the Trinity, and we certainly worship and praise God the Father and God the Holy Spirit. But we see in Scripture that the purpose behind why God the Father and God the Holy Spirit are doing what they are doing in this created world is that they are both partnering to unveil the glories and the perfections of the character and the, the wonder of the second person of the Trinity, Jesus. And since that is what God is doing in this world, we join with God in wanting to do what God is accomplishing, to, to join with God and to say, may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, but then to realize that God's will on this earth is to unveil the glory of the Son. And to embrace texts like Colossians 1.18, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. To understand that the universe and the atoms, to understand all of time and history, to understand people and angels and Satan, to understand the past, the present, and the future as all being encompassed in so that in everything he might have the supremacy. Or as we're going to see in Romans 11, for from him and through him and to him are all things to him be the glory. To embrace those texts and to not just do so in kind of a lip service way while we quietly are about other things, but to truly in our hearts to have our grounded purpose being to do what we do to be who we are so that we might pro, uh, proclaim the fame of the name of Jesus Christ, that every knee should bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. This is where that whole thing is going. So let me, again, make it clear here. Why does Bethel Church exist? What is the purpose of the church? Or if I could apply it to you, like why do you exist? Young people, why do you exist? You oftentimes ask the question, why am I here? What's my purpose? Old people the same, everybody in between the same. 
Why am I here? What is the purpose of my story and my life? Why am I going through the things that I'm going through? Is there some meaning behind it? The good times, the bad times. What is the purpose of all of it? To understand that there is, as you go deeper into the story, that this is about God and the love of the Trinity and to see behind that love, the unveiling of the, of the Son and to understand my eternal destiny being wrapped up in that and not just my eternal destiny, but my marriage or my singleness, my family, my career, my money, my life, indeed my death and my eternal destiny also included so that in everything he might have the supremacy. And that is why all about him is so important and why we just keep, you know, here comes this another year. What are we doing? We're hammering the same nail. We're hitting the same nail around here. We're not looking for a vision around here. Why are we here? We're not going to, oh, now we're this, and now we're that, and now we're that. No. We just hit the same old thing with the same old hammer again and again. We are here because of Christ. We are here for his glory. We are here under his salvation and cross and his salvation. And we are someday going to be doing exactly the same thing. Forever, we will be saying it is all about him. So let's get used to it now. So we have worked very hard, quietly, you haven't realized this probably, but we've been working very hard in our Roman series to land on this text on this date, okay? You're like, wow, all summer we just kind of kept the pedal to the metal. Why do we do that? So we could get to chapter 5, verse 1 on All About Him Sunday, that's why. And indeed it worked, yay, we got here, okay? So here in chapter 5, verse 1, we're beginning a whole new uh, section of Romans. You'll notice our little Colosseum, our, our graphic, we're building. Now we're on the next level. We are about the God, this is about the gospel and our liberation. And indeed, if you notice, the first word in chapter 5 is the word therefore. And it is truly one of the most important therefores uh, that there is. So therefore, we should know why it's there. And it is there because Paul is now bringing together these threads that he has been building in four chapters in Romans. He's drawing them all uh, together and applying them to salvation and what it means then to live the Christian life. And in the future, it's going to be that. We've got, you realize the best passages in all of the Bible, if we can say that? I don't know if the Holy Spirit would agree with it, but humanly speaking, we look at the best passages in all the Bible lie ahead of us. Romans 6, Romans 7, Romans 8. Like, it doesn't get any better than Romans 8, your entire life, you are never gonna study a chapter better than Romans 8. And this coming year, we are, we are going through the richest, most wonderful, doctrinal, uplifting, fantastic, applicable passages in all of the whole Bible. So we're gonna get to chapter 8, and, and then we die. Because <laughs> what's the point of going anymore? We've been to, we've been to Everest. So what is the conclusion that he is drawing here? Chapter 1, all Gentiles are under the wrath of God. Chapter 2, all Jews are under the wrath of God. Chapter 3, that there is a righteousness that can come to us by faith in a glorious miracle called justification, where God declares us righteous. We're not righteous, we're sinners. And every single one of us here right now, in an honest assessment, would have to say, I am nothing but a sinner. That's all that we are. We're all sinners, myself included. It's not that God makes us not sinners. It just is that he treats us as if we're not sinners. 
He promises to treat us as righteous as Jesus now and forever by his grace, his sovereign grace. This is justification. It is not earned, it is not merited, it merely comes to us by faith, which allows it to be a gift. God gives us a gift. We open the gift and we go to heaven forever. We have this standing before God forever as righteous. And then we get to chapter four and he brings up Abraham. Why would he bring up Abraham? Because of all the people in the Old Testament story that we know is righteous, it's Abraham, Genesis 15. And if, if there was anybody that could be saved by being a great person, it would be Abraham. He's the, it's like the biggest hero of the entire Old Testament story is Abraham, the, found, the father of the, uh, of the Israelites. And yet, if Abraham couldn't merit his way to heaven and had to be saved by faith, then I guarantee, so do you. Now, I don't know everybody here, but the ones that I know, I can tell you, they are not earning their way to heaven. They, me, and you, if Abraham, if Abraham had to be saved by faith, and so do, so do us, or so do we. So this is the point of Romans 4. And then we get to chapter 5, and we have this, therefore, based on everything that I've been saying, now this is what it means. And here is our text for All About Him Sunday, 2018. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God, through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Amen and amen. amen. Now, here's where we're going in our, in our message today. In these two verses we see that for every single Christian there is a past, which is that I have been justified. There is a present, which is peace and grace, and there is a future, which is glory. There is a past, there is a present, and there's a future. Now, verse one is an unusual verse because it is one of the few verses that I know of, at least, that across all of the English translations, it is almost exactly the same. And I, I do this every week, I read multiple translations as I'm preparing messages, and typically you have, you know, the NIV says it this way, the ESV says it that way, the NASB says it this way, and you kind of see, uh, you know, there's sort of little differences in all of that. You read these verses in almost all the translations, it is word for word, it's almost like all the translators are like, we are not messing with this verse. Like, we are just going to say what Paul said, or maybe when Paul wrote it, he thought, you know, all these English translations, let me just make this one very clear, Okay. They are almost exactly the same word for word. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We see, first of all, the Christian's past. And the Christian's past is that we have all been declared righteous. Okay, so see it in the text now. Therefore, verse one, okay, so on the basis of what? Since we have been justified by faith. Notice that it is not if we have been justified by faith, that would be a conditionality somehow to it. It is not if, it is since. In other words, this is, there's no uncertainty with this. We have been justified by faith. And there we find Paul basically summarizing in that little clause, chapters one through four, whether you're a Jew or a Gentile, it doesn't matter. We're all saved the same way by faith in Jesus Christ. 
And since that right standing is granted by personal trust, it is not by merit, it is not by being better than most people, it is not something that I accomplish, I do, or somehow approach in a self-righteous way. No, it is a byproduct of justification. Since we have been justified by faith, what is it? We have peace with God. Now, before I get to that, I want us all to realize how justification is a necessary pass for every Christian. There is no such thing as a non-justified Christian. Like, if after the service you meet somebody, you say, hey, tell me about yourself. Well, I'm, I'm a Christian. I haven't been justified yet, but I'm a Christian. You got, no, you're not a Christian, okay? You're not a Christian because to be a Christian is to be under the grace of God. And to be under the grace of God means that you have expressed faith to God, faith to God in Jesus, which is the basis by which God has declared you righteous. So if you think that you are somehow a, a non-justified Christian, you are a, uh, you are a, a very misled non-Christian. Okay? And we'd love to clarify your theology and see you come to actual saving faith. So to be a Christian is to have a point in the past where you went from being unrighteous in the eyes of God to being righteous. And I can say that even grammatically here. One of the things about the Greek that the New Testament was written in Greek 2,000 years ago, we are studying it today out of an English translation, but the Greek is really good at giving chronology of things. So the grammar of it, it can say, you know, is the author meaning something that's like present? Is it something future? Is it something past that has ongoing results? Or is it a simple past thing? And that's what this is saying. It's not saying it's, it's something in the past, it's ongoing. It is a simple past moment, a moment in time. We were justified, okay? We were justified. I wasn't justified, and now I am justified. Now, the ongoing blessings of that is the next six chapters of Romans. But it all begins with a moment in our story where we go from being under the wrath of God to being under the grace of God. And I'd like to just ask this question, do you have that moment in your life? Now, some people can't say at the moment, and I'm okay with that. And for some people, it's sort of confusing a little bit exactly when maybe they came to that point of faith. C.S. Lewis is a great example of that. But there ought to be a sense in your story of the past where I was not a Christian, and then I, then I, I, I became a Christian. I placed my faith in Christ. Do you have that in your life? Can you say today, since I have been justified by faith? Now, perhaps you are one of the many individuals who, they, uh, they never land the plane of faith. They're always circling the field. There's always some, you know, random question about who wrote Hebrews and, you know, uh, exactly, you know, I've got to decide, I've got to be the one person in all of human history to reconcile the sovereignty of God and the will of man and all of this, and I didn't never land the plane because, I, you know, there's just, land the plane, would you? Like, quit messing around. Put the wheels of your plane of faith on the ground and trust in Jesus Christ, okay? Just do it, okay? Do it. And figure all that out later or talk to somebody smart around here. So the Christian's past having been justified. The focus of the text, though, now is on the present, okay? On the present. What is present? What does justification produce in us? 
Therefore, since we have been justified with, by faith, notice, we have, present tense, peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So our focus today, and this is all about him Sunday, is peace with God through Jesus Christ. And when I say the word peace, instantly we have modern-day existentialists who you want to think about it purely in terms of how you feel about it or that internal sort of feeling subjective thing about that, that peace is and is actually a wonderful thing. Or you might be here today and you might say, I didn't know that me and God were unpeaceful. I guess I didn't realize that I needed to have peace with God. And by the way, I want to focus, notice it. It's not the peace of God. It is peace with God. Peace of God is that internal sort of subjective thing. Peace with God is objective and it is a matter of reconciliation. Since we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God. Well, I didn't know I needed to have peace with God. I thought we were getting along just fine. Well, this is why Romans doesn't begin with the peace of God, the grace of God, the love of God. We saw back in chapter one that Paul explains the gospel by beginning with the wrath of God. Let me read it again. Here is why peace with God matters. Romans 1, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. That verse summarizes how all of us are born, how all of us naturally are, even sort of the nice old lady down the street, apart from the grace of God, is under the wrath of God. Now, it doesn't feel like that right now. We live our lives. Okay, there's no, you know, there's, there's, uh, there's no volcanic Mount Doom that sort of looms over our life, making us think that possibly we're under the wrath of God. It's very easy to live your life every day of your life, all your life, and to not think one time about the wrath of God. That is why we need revealed scripture in the Bible emphasizes and Jesus all the time talked about the judgment of God against our sin that we are in a relationship of enmity with God there's hostility between God and people we are not in a state of peace we are at war with God we have joined with Satan who's the enemy of God and we're living according to his values and promoting his purposes the reality is there's no winning against God okay you can go to war to God, uh, against God all you want, but, uh, you know, your junior bulldog football team is not going to beat the Bears. That's not a very good example. <laughs> because it's within the realm of possibility. <laughs> There's no winning against God. None. And the warning of Scripture is that his wrath is an eternal wrath, and our experience of it is called hell. And it is only when we get a sense of the reality of the wrath of God that we understand why peace with God is so fantastic. Like, I guarantee right now, if, if, if I, you could for one second get a glimpse of what the wrath of God is like in hell. All of a sudden, this becomes something incredibly interesting. The most bored person in the room right now can't wait to be done and get out of here. If I could for one second show you what hell is like, you would never be more interested than in anything like justification by faith. 
through Jesus and peace with God. And all of a sudden rises and, whoa, this is the most important thing. Indeed it is. It is. Notice that it is, we have peace with God. It is a present day possession. So just like there's no non-justified Christians running around, there are no non-peace with God Christians running around. If you are justified, you're at peace with God. There is peace with God for you. And we see him linking these two things together. Here's why. How does justification and peace come together? If you have cancer and you go to the doctor, you do this chemo, you do the scans, you go to the doctor and he gives you a report and he says, uh, your body is 90% 90 clear of cancer cells. Are you at peace with cancer? No, you're not at peace with cancer. If you go through more chemo and then you have scans and you go to the doctor and the doctor says your body is 95% clear of cancer cells, are you at peace with cancer? No. If you do the chemo and you do the scan and you go to the doctor and the doctor says, I've got great news, you're 99.9% clear of cancer, are you at peace with God or with cancer? You get the point. No. The only way that you're at peace with cancer is if the doctor says you're 100% clear. And when it comes to understanding how we have peace with God, it relates to the fact that when God declares us righteous, he is not saying, I promise that I will treat you 90% righteous for all of eternity, and I'm only gonna hold 10% of your guilt against you. He doesn't say I'm gonna hold you 95% guilt-free and hold 5% against you. He says, in justification, I am declaring 100% of everything that you have ever done and ever will do, every vile sin, every thought, every action, every unkind word, every failure to love like you should, all of it. I promise no guilt for you forever. And I'm actually going to look at you as if you did all of the righteous works of Jesus while he was on earth. Forever and ever and ever it will not end. And that is how justification means I have peace with God. It is a 100% all clear, forever. That's peace with God. The full measure is gone. Now, that said, it doesn't necessarily mean that I have peace. Just because I am 100% in the clear. How do I know that somebody else isn't going to come along and accuse me of something? What if Satan comes along and says, oh, 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 oh. Now, God, remember that one thing? You know, I think you sort of forgot about this. And here's the comfort that we have with peace with God is that it is peace with God. Okay? Peace with God. Do you hear the emphasis there? Why is that so important? Because there is no one higher than God. Again, let's just say that you did something. And the local sheriff says, we're doing an investigation, and there's a possibility that you're going to be indicted. And they do the investigation, and they come to you, and they say, you know what? We're good, okay? We're good. We're not taking this matter up with you. Does that mean that you have peace? No, because the state can take it up. And the state authorities say, you know what? The local sheriff said, gave it a pass, but we're going to investigate this, and we might indict you, and we might, we might arrest you. And so the state does that. They come to you, and they say, you know what? We're good, okay? We're good. Do you lay it in bed in total peace at night? No. Because the feds can get involved. And the feds could come along and say, you know what? The local sheriff said you get a pass. The state said you get a pass. But we're not so sure we're going to take the matter up. And they do the investigation and they do all of that. When do you lay in bed with true, total peace 
when the Supreme Court says, we're good, this matter is not going to be held against you. Now there is peace. Why? Because there's nobody else higher than them that can take it up. And if they say you're good, you're good. And what do we find in salvation? That this is peace with God, right? We have peace with God. The highest authority that there is is declaring us righteous. No one else can accuse me. Here's Romans 8. It's coming up. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is it to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who was at the right hand of God, and who was indeed interceding for us. And here's the summary. If God is for us, who can be against us? How do I have peace with God through justification? It's God that's declaring me righteous. And if he declares me righteous, then there is no other. But something is still missing regarding peace. Because you might be here and you might say, okay, so I get So justification through faith means that the, the, the relational breach with God has been resolved. That God is declaring that I have no more sin that's going to be held against me. Well then, pastor, why don't I feel it inside? Why don't I feel inside peace? Why my anxiety? Why my fear? Why my lack of assurance? I remember when I first became a pastor, I was an associate pastor at a church in Indianapolis. The church got a call from uh, a man who was in the hospital. He was dying in the hospital. And the senior pastor years before, like in childhood, had had a relationship with him. And that guy was asking for him to come and to see him. And so uh, the pastor invited me to come with him. And explained to me that he was, told me his story. He had grown up in a Christian home but he rejected Christianity, kind of lived however he wanted, and now he was dying of, I believe it was lung cancer and HIV, and he was in the hospital. So we got to the hospital, and the pastor said, you know, I think it might be better if you didn't go in. Why don't you wait? And so I waited and waited and waited, and when he came back, I was like, what happened? And here's what he told me. He said, I walked into the room, and the man was smoking a cigarette through the trach in his neck. And he looked at me and he said, I'm about to die, and I want to know that I'm going to heaven. Can you give me assurance that I'm going to heaven? And I said to the pastor, I said, what did you tell him? And he said, I told him objective peace precedes subjective peace. Objective peace precedes subjective peace. You might be here saying, I want peace. I mean, who here doesn't want peace? We all want peace. You want the subjective peace. But what we all need is the objective peace. The objective peace is the vertical peace with God, the relational peace with God, which is resolved by justification through faith and the work of Jesus dying for our sins on our, in our behalf. That resolves the objective peace. And from that then can flow a subjective peace knowing that I'm good with God and God is good with me. Now there certainly is false assurance of salvation and there is false peace and there's gonna be many people, Jesus said this, that are gonna find themselves on judgment day and they thought they were going to heaven and they are not. So we do not evaluate whether we're saved by whether I feel like I'm saved. 
But there is a peace that God provides to us. Romans 8 is going to explain this more deeply. The experience of peace with God. But that experience has to be preceded by the objective, grounded, real peace, which is a reconciling peace by faith in Jesus Christ. The verse goes on, through him we have also obtained, notice now also, not just peace, we have now access by faith into this grace in which we stand. So we see in the text, we're justified by faith and we gain access to God's grace by faith. And see it there in verse two, the faith, faith is the access door to God's grace. Okay, what is grace? Grace is unearned, unmerited kindness from God to us. It is not based upon our skin color. It is not based upon our righteousness. It's not based upon our heritage, our legacy, anything that we do. It is unmerited favor and kindness from God. And what is the means to this grace? Notice it's the same word. The same faith that was the means to justification at the beginning of verse 1 is here now the means to access. We are justified by faith. We obtain access also by faith. And the text here says that we are saved by that grace and we continue to stand by that grace. Or to say it this way, we are saved by grace and we stay saved by grace. It's not like we're saved by grace and then we stay saved because we're awesome, righteous people. No, we stay saved because of God's grace to us. And through faith, we have this access. We have this access to God, access to salvation. I had an experience just over a week ago where I had a flight out of a major U.S. city back home here to Chicago. And so I got to the airport plenty of time, and I got, through, I got my little documents and whatever I needed, and I headed for the dreaded part of traveling in the airport. I headed towards security. And it was one of those where I rounded the corner, and I looked, and there was just a sea of people. And I was like, oh, no. You know, you know that, if you know that feeling, it's a terrible feeling, like, here we go. So I get in line to go to the first step of the security, which is the TSA agent, you know, looking at your document, looking at your driver's license, looking at you. Eh, all right, you seem okay. And, you know, you get through the first initial check. And then I got in the line for the queue, which is the, you know, they got the, the little, not really ropes, tethers, whatever they are, that, that uh, get you in line. And the way this was set up was all of these TSA first check lines were flowing into this like single file line and I don't even know how many people were there. I, like, you could say it was hundreds, you could say it thousands, I don't even know. It was a lot of people and nobody's happy. <laughs> nobody's happy. Everybody got up early to get there at that time and now I'm in the line and everyone's just shuffling along, and they have it set up where, you know, you go all the way this way, then you come back all the way this way, then you come back all this way. You feel like you've actually gone somewhere, but linearly, it's like five feet. It's all that you've gone. <laughs> it's like King's Island roller coaster on steroids type thing. And so there we are, and we're just, you know, you're, just, you're shuffling back and forth, back and forth. And we, we get to actually, in, by doing that after quite a while, you come around a corner and you think that you're almost there, only to realize, in this case, 
there was just all of this back and forth. I mean, tons of people still in front, and it was just one of these where you're like, oh, no. So I tell you all that because having done this and everyone's grumpy and grouchy and we're waiting in line, shuffling back and forth for however long that was taking, I get to a place in all of this queue where all of a sudden here is a whole section of TSA security. And I mean, there's the scanners, you know, they got the scanners, they've got the belts, there's, there could have been six, 10 lines, nobody's in them. There's TSA agents all standing there, you know, they're kind of doing this number, and we're all crammed into this line here with thousands of people, and I was, I was on the one side of the line, I'm like, I just, you know, if I go under here, I'm in, like there's nobody here. And it just was, like it was insane, it was government efficiency at its best, just like, why are they doing this? Well, one of the TSA agents, uh, all of a sudden maybe kind of realized, you know, maybe we should get some more people in here because this line is crazy. And so he goes and he opens, you know, pulls up the little thing, the little tether thing, and lets in all of these people who had just arrived to get in line. <laughs> Everybody, there's smoke coming out of our ears. <laughs> We're like... Why do they get to get in this line? You know, they're, they're already in the bins and they're going through like this. Why are they getting to do that? And here we are just jammed like this, shuffling along. Why are they here? And we're here. And maybe this is the way the mind of a pastor goes, but I, in that moment as I stood in line, my mind went to the ultimate line, the ultimate human history line. That line someday, Judgment Day. You wanna talk about a line, think about billions of people waiting in line, standing there, shuffling, nobody's happy. There has to be a sense of what lies ahead, a sense of dread, a sense of impending doom as all humanity shuffles along awaiting their moment in front of the king, in front of the judge of all mankind. And then noticing, wait a second, there's all these lines over here. And seeing people in this other line. And they're all happy. And they're just like rushing through. They're on their way. And no doubt to look and say, hey, there's, that's my cousin. That's my cousin uh, Tom right there. Why is he over there and I'm here? He's no better than I am. And there's my, you know, there's that guy three doors down that I grew up with. Why is he going through that line and I'm standing here over here in this line? Why are they there happy doing what they're doing and I'm over here on my way to hell? And what is the answer, class, to that question? Why are these people here and these people here? And the answer to that question is all of these happy people have peace with God through faith in Jesus Christ, trusting in his finished work on the cross. And that is the tie between what he is saying here about peace and access. How do we have access to God? It is not me, it's not who I am. My salvation is by faith in Jesus. My peace with God is through faith in Jesus. My access to salvation comes to me through Christ and him alone.
So the Christian's past, justified, present, peace, and grace. The verse concludes with our future. Little clause, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Glory of God. I take this to mean the opposite of what he says in chapter 3. For all have sinned and fall, what? Short of the glory of God. But here now, in chapter 5, we're not falling short of the glory of God. We are living with the hope of the glory of God. We understand that rather than falling short, we are going to see and savor and experience forever eternal glory. And that is where our hope comes from. Romans 5, we have peace with God, this confidence, this hope of glory forever. And what is the Christian's future? If you're a Christian here today, friend, your future most likely is going to be you're going to die. Your body is going to die. But in that moment when you die, Jesus is going to welcome you. Okay? He says we will never see death. That's the promise. We don't experience death the way that unbelievers experience death. Our life goes on and we see the face of Jesus. And there in that future that we have, there is the coming promise of the resurrection from the dead and the coming promise of ruling and reigning with Jesus in a glorified body and ultimately a new heaven and a new earth within which we will exist and do so forever. Time without end, this joy. And you see that in the text that he says we rejoice in this, okay? We rejoice in this. The more confidence we have that I am good with God and God is good with me, the more joy I have in my heart as I understand with confidence the hope that I have. In the pains of this life, the hope that I have. The trials of this life, the hope that I have. As my body decays and I get older and my back goes out like it did yesterday morning. Where's my hope? New body. New body, new eternity. We do not understand the glory that awaits us. Maybe someday you'll remember that I said that and you'll say to me, you were so right. This is so much far better than anything I could have ever imagined. So how is this all about Jesus then? And from the text, I want you to see this. How did peace, grace, and hope come to us? Let me read the text one more time. To make it very clear, notice, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God. Yes, right? Yes. Wait, how did that come to us? Through our Lord Jesus Christ. How about this, uh, you know, this access and this grace and this hope of glory? Yes, it's so great. But wait, how did that come to us? Through, through him we have obtained access by faith. It's so easy for us to maybe celebrate all the blessings that we have in Christ. And isn't it great that we get to be a part of this? And isn't it wonderful, the hope that we have? And to miss the fact that all of this comes to us from him. Okay? From Jesus Christ. Peace with God. From Jesus Christ. Access. From Jesus Christ. Grace. From Jesus Christ. The benefits of justification. So what about justification? How is this through Christ? He gave his life on the cross that we might be saved. What about peace? He is our peace who has broken down every wall 
What did the angel say when he was born? Peace on earth, goodwill towards men. Indeed, Jesus is the Prince of Peace. What about access? How is this with Jesus? When Jesus said it is finished, what happened in that temple? What happened in that giant curtain that separated the Holy of Holies from the most holy place? Do you remember? What happened? Tell me, class. What happened? It was torn in two. How? From top to bottom, from God to man. Now there is no more temple like that and sacrifices and priests and all the things. No, we have access to God. How? Through Jesus Christ. Okay. What about the grace of God? What about the grace of God? John 1:16, from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. What about hope? Colossians 1, to them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. And that even in this passage, with justification and peace and access and grace and hope, that we are justified in him, we have peace through him, we have access by him, we have hope in him. And why do the deep dive on this stuff? Why spend time on justification? Why does it matter for you, Christian, to understand in a deep way these truths? Because you might come to me and say, Pastor, can, can we leave all that to the, pastor, or the pastors and the theologians? Can I just live on Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so? Can I just live on that? Well, you, you can, just like my daughter can stay in kindergarten for the next 12 years. But here's the thing. She's gonna miss out on a lot if she's perpetually in kindergarten. And the trials that come in our life are not kindergarten trials. They are graduate school trials. And where are you gonna go in your heart when the graduate school trial comes in your life? And the Jesus loves me, this I know, doesn't seem to get you there. Where do we go? We go to right here. We go to the deeper understanding of who Jesus is, the higher joy of being in the right line forever, having the grace of God awaiting a future glory which will be ours forever. And there in that place of eternity, what are we gonna be talking about? What are we gonna be singing about? What are we going to be savoring and enjoying? I'm here to tell you right now, when we get our little Bethel Church reunion together, we're gonna get there, and what are we gonna talk about? We're gonna talk about the same thing that we're trying to talk about here, right now, which is, this whole thing is all about him. And then we will have seen him with our own eyes, that beatific vision of the glory of Christ, and it will just raise in all of us, myself included, I don't even begin to understand this. The glory of Christ and an understanding of who he is and who he has been for us, and all that he has done, and all that he will forever do, all of that giant, massive glory of Christ, we will see with eternal, glorified eyes. And from that perspective, we will say, for from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory. It's our word, it's our creed forever. Indeed, it's all about him. Amen.